Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Bitcoin Bottom Line. I'm CJ Wilson, joined by Josh Olsiewicz, and we have a special mysterious guest today. A lot of people don't know how Bitcoin gets developed. They don't know what a core dev is. They don't know how any of this stuff happens. So today we have Gloria who's joining us from a mystery undisclosed location, and she is going to break down a lot of the behind the scenes action of what's what's the life of a core dev? How does it work? How do we improve Bitcoin? And how does Bitcoin compare to other methods of sending money across the internet? So uh, Gloria, thank you. Thank you for coming on today. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, hopefully I can do the topic justice a little bit. <laughs> so uh, yeah, Josh uh, put some really good pre-show notes together for us. And I think like just jumping right into it, how much better is the user interface and user experience for anybody using Bitcoin than it was a couple of years ago? Yeah, I think, well, I haven't been in Bitcoin for that long, but even to me, I feel like it's really good. It's amazing. Like I have a Raspberry Pi node that runs Umbrel. And when I got it, I, you know, had looked at Bitcoin Core and by the way, was very surprised by how easy it was to build on Bitcoin Core. Um, but also like it worked straight out of the box where it was just really, like plug in the ethernet cable, press the power button and you have a working Bitcoin node running on Tor. And like, it's incredible, we easy. Um, to, I guess, be your own bank and be self-sovereign, as they say. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's like stupidly easy to be a Bitcoiner nowadays. Um, so, so yeah, what, that helps. what got you into Bitcoin in the beginning? Like, where did you come from? What was your path to Bitcoin discovery, I guess, in that regard? Mm, yeah, I, I went to college studying computer science. So that kind of you know, put me in the right direction to find Bitcoin. Um, and I actually applied to the chain code residency, kind of thinking that would be like a summer internship kind of thing, which is not true. Um, but it was like one of many kind of academically interesting technical challenges. Um, this idea of like distributed systems and cryptography. And, you know, if you want to design a system where uh, theoretically, the most secure system is where you, the only assumptions that you need to have are people are economically rational. Um, so like, oh, it's not if, you know, people cheat, then you have a government like infrastructure for people to like get their money back or like, oh, you need to have, you know, just like a social system that works, stuff like that. Um, like just all these interesting, I think we called it like crypto economics or like mechanism design where you're like trying to create a system like that incorporates economics and computer science where you've like kind of set the parameters and like actors will act rationally and you'll have a nice system that's fair. Um, this is kind of abstract, but like, you know, there are a lot of like ideologies in there from the beginning that I found very appealing. Um, and on top of that, you know, there's a lot of very interesting engineering technical challenges to work on. And as a computer science student, obviously I was drawn to that. Um, and so, yeah, it, it happened to be Bitcoin. Um, I, it like hit a lot of, you know, like things in my mind and my heart and I was very nerd sniped. And also I felt like I was doing something, I found something that was good for the world and all those things. So that th those are all lined up. Um, I grew up in Silicon Valley, so I kind of, I think that gave me a perspective on like how endless it is to like kind of chase this idea of like innovation and like profit and stuff. And that kind of always struck pretty empty to me. So Bitcoin was very different. And I think um, I had an immediate kind of draw to it. So yeah. kind of the... <laughs> understanding the, the symphony of the incentive structure of Bitcoin, that's what really magnetized you and drew you right to it, it seems like. That's like, yeah. It's, so, it's such a pure signal when you understand that the, like you said, the rational economics of every actor in, in, in this one particular thing is going to do what they think is best for themselves, which is sort of like put on your own life vest first, right? Put your oxygen mask on first. And if people do that, then they do what's best for them. It's also best for the network because the network was designed towards that, that psychological component, which is sort of left out of other economic endeavors. And a lot of economics people just look at things like this 
it's just this really smooth graph and all this other stuff. But I think Bitcoiners really see the world for much more how it is, which is like this really dynamic, organic thing that things like pass from side to side very quickly. And people always are looking to arbitrage to do what's best for them because that's how humans have sort of survived, right? We figured that out thousands of years ago. Yeah, and thinking about security, um, I think, like I said, it's it's very good to think about, like, I'm not saying it's a good thing that people are greedy or like, you know, will try to maximize profit, but it's good to be like, that's what we expect people to do and that's all mm -hmm. we rely on and our system will operate um, mm -hmm. based only on this assumption. Like, obviously, it's like, oh, I care about the environment. And then it's like, oh, yeah, we'll have, you know, zero waste if everybody puts their recycling into seven different bins or something. <laughs> um, that I, You know, that's, that's just not necessarily as rational as people want to maximize profit. And therefore, it's the cheapest to recycle or it's the cheapest to do seven different categories. And therefore, we will have, you know a perfect green planet in X years because we've designed a system that's economically um, incentive compatible. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I, I just, that, that's something that I appreciate about, about Bitcoin and, and how we, how we design things. So um, yeah, Josh, your I was going to say, what is your, what is a day to do? What is your day to day like? Like, is it like zoom calls and meetings or do you, do you work <laughs> independently like as a decentralized like developer you know um give us some sense of what what goes on just yeah, yeah so i most people have no clue cool yeah no, no problem um yeah people are often surprised uh that people work on bitcoin um so i work on bitcoin core which is one implementation of the bitcoin client uh or a bitcoin client so you know it it follows the peer-to-peer -peer protocol it can connect to the network and follow consensus it has mempool, it has a wallet, it has a GUI so that, you know, any user who is not super technical would be able to run it like any app on their computer. Um, it just so happens that Bitcoin Core is about like 98% of the network. And so people think of Bitcoin Core as working on Bitcoin. Um, and I think we're very different from most software projects, even open source projects, um, in that there, there's just no company that's in charge of Bitcoin Core. Like there, there are open source software projects out there where it's like, oh, this is foundation or there's like <laughs> Google and like other big co co companies that, you know, don't own the license, but like- But fund it. It moves because they have entire teams dedicated to working on it and they merge each other's flow across and all this. And that's fine. Um, but I'm just trying to contrast that with in Bitcoin Core almost, no, but like, I think none of the maintainers, maybe two of them are funded by the same organization. Um, a lot of the maintainers live on different continents, just devs in general are very geographically spread out and it's really hard to get a meeting where everyone's there. Um, but so yeah, like day to day, I'd say, save a few like community cultural like changes. It's kind of just like working on any software project, except we don't have a boss and, you know, we just kind of, we review each other's PRs because we care about them and they're important for Bitcoin and we fix bugs because if they stay in the client, then the network might have some troubles, like not because our boss told us to, you know, there, so there's a bit of like, uh, in terms mm -hmm. of drive and direction. Yeah. 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 Um, hopefully that answers your question. So a lot of similarities with most software engineers, but some key differences. So my, my question following up with that is what's the percentage of time that you spend, like, let's say reviewing other people's work and having conversations with other people about what you guys are working on versus like just going in the rabbit hole yourself and doing more of a deep dive and then coming up with nuggets from there. Right. Um, I actually do a pretty detailed breakdown of like how I spend my time um, because no one is managing me. <laughs> so I have to manage myself. Um, I spend about 30% of my time on like my main project package relay, which includes coding and like writing the BIPs or like 
talking to people about it. And then I try to do about 50% of my time on just PR review um, and or like opening small PRs to fix bugs or something. Um, but it's like, at the end of the day, we work for Bitcoin. So like, it's about, you know, making sure um, important bug fixes get merged and um, like learning more about the code base so that we can be better informed about how to maintain it. Um, and yeah, I, and I spend about 10% of my time on things like advocacy and education. So like I run the, the Bitcoin Core PR Review Club. Um, sometimes I write blog articles or I'll make a set of notes about something that I dove into so that I could review a PR. Um, or like, you know, going on a podcast or something and then about 10% just like pure learning. So like reading C++ books or like, I think I spent like a whole day learning Tmux Vim so I could like have a better setup, uh, uh, rising as they call. Um, and yeah, so like 50% review, 30% my project and then 10% advocacy, 10%, um, learning, uh. I think people, uh, like, people are often surprised to hear how, like, what percentage of my time I just spend on, like, going to a, con like, basically podcast conferences, notes, like, that kind of stuff I, I group under advocacy. Mm -hmm. um, and they're like, oh, so you're just, like, you know, going to Miami to, like, <laughs> have drinks and, like, you know. Um, but I, I very much value time like this where you're able to, send a message and, you know, people like you will very kindly give me a, a platform on which I can tell people like, hey, there's people working on Bitcoin. Hey, it's gonna break if, you know, nobody works on it. And so it's really important to A, pay the people who do and get more people to, you know, want to be Bitcoin core developers um, because it's very important for Bitcoin's health developmentally um, mm -hmm. and just the network moving forward, so. That's my time where breakdown. Would, where would someone start? Like if they wanted to dive into like learn to code, right? Besides like the obvious like path that you took sort of like with the CS degree, uh, let's say they're more of like a casual person looking to like dive in. Um, how would, like, what's a good way to, to go about that? Uh, so like, I guess if you already know C++ or you already can read some code, I would recommend just like fork the repo, clone it, like try running it and you'll be absolutely amazed by how amazingly nice the build system is. Um, but I mean, if you don't know a lot of code, um, I think the Optech newsletter is a really great place to start. Um, it basically breaks down all of the technical conversations that have been going on in the mailing list. Um, it has topics pages for introductions to like, you know, covenants or adapter signatures or PTLCs, you know, stuff like that, that most people need a bit of background, including developers. Um, and then there's a lot of like educational materials out there, like Mastering Bitcoin is very accessible for um, people who are not as technical, but you know, are paying attention to what they're reading it takes work. Um, but yeah, there's um, there's a lot of places to start. Um, and I mean, yeah, like when you say like, I, I definitely feel lucky and I had a kind of a fast track doing a computer science degree, but like in 2012, I didn't know how to code. I had never compiled anything before really. Um, in 2016, I had taken one Java class, you know, and so now it's been like six years. So, you know, given six years, you can go from zero to whatever you would call this. <laughs> <laughs> zero to glory. Uh, six years. <laughs> um, yeah, I, there's. I think a lot of it for a lot of people too, is just like learning the languages, not like literal like C++, but like like what a PR even means and like what GitHub even is, right? Like people need to like start like to dive into that sort of thing. Um, even outside of Bitcoin, you know, every every code base or whatever, um, 
you become a better informed individual in the, the community and you understand things, why they are the yeah. way they are, you know? Yeah. And even if you're not a Bitcoiner, I think um, kind of cybersecurity and learning your way around your computer and maybe a terminal, maybe like being able to look up source code, um, verifying binaries that you download from the internet, like their GPG signatures. Like these are all kind of, I treat kind of as like self-defense because we live our lives online and there's a lot at stake and a lot to lose if, you know, you're, you're the victim of a phishing attack um, or, you know, you download a Bitcoin client from bitcoincur.org, for example, you know, there's a lot to lose. Um, so I think everyone should, I think everyone should learn how to code a little bit or, you know, equip themselves with tools to protect themselves on the internet. Well, yeah, that's that's part of the social evolution that we've seen over the last, let's call it 15 years, right? I mean, we have Wi-Fi routers in our house. We have Bluetooth devices in our car and on our phone. Uh, so it's like, you know, should your airdrop be discoverable on your phone? No, right? You should have permission only. There's lots of like these little like best practices that people have sort of started to get in there. Um, let's A couple of years ago, there was this really, really popularized uh, hack where somebody either within Apple or within like the, the, the at Mac or at, at me uh, database had like ripped all these celebrity emails open and was taking a bunch of their like photos and personal information and stuff like that, and publishing it. Um, so I think that was one of the first like really public like internet uh, security scandals that hit a, ma- a massive company. And since then there's been like Target, Equifax, all these other things where people are, there's information is getting out there. So the more you can do to control your information and make it just so that you're difficult to pierce, that's like a huge key, yeah. like you're saying. And I think that's like from a practice standpoint, just like you wouldn't walk around with your bank balance on your t-shirt, you know what I mean? Unless you maybe are like, that's, that's how you identify in a weird way, and, <laughs> I don't know, which is a, really a bad OPSEC thing. Um, like, like Josh was saying, there's a lot of terminology that you need to, incorporate in order to learn how to do these things, which are sort of like, we all know this now that you're supposed to change cases and your passwords and add a number or substitute characters and things like that. So I think it's just going to keep, it's going to keep evolving, but people sometimes need a little bit of pain before they can learn how that works. Right. They don't, they, sometimes someone has to steal your wallet before you realize, Hey, I (sighs) carry so much money in my wallet. Right. That's sad, but that's the reality. Yeah. And I think that brings me to another thing that I really like about Bitcoin. And like, as you mentioned, all these like huge companies that have many billions of dollars at their disposal, like pretty much when they digitized and, you know, even new companies that build software, they'll build for the happy case. And most software engineers who work for any company will be like, yeah, this shit's so brittle. Like it'll (laughs) fall apart if like, you know, anything goes wrong if the user has a name that's too long then like the app will crash you know and let's kind of put the onus on consumers to be vigilant and protect themselves whereas um i like to think that bitcoin builds kind of step by step from the bottom up instead of just like building this huge brittle tower that's about to fall down is like every layer is like security is our utmost priority and we have to make sure this is like airtight and like any idiot user um, who downloads, sorry, not idiot. I mean like any non-technical Any rookie person, user, any rookie should, user. Yeah, rookie like should, should be able to use like this client and there are, you know, we try to get rid of foot guns. We tried to provide as much like foolproof stuff in there as possible. Um, okay, maybe this isn't like completely unique to Bitcoin, but it is something that I really, really um, appreciate is like how high up on the priority list um, every security possible like thing is. Like we'll talk about like disk filling attacks because your node is logging too much um, or like uh, fingerprinting attacks based on like how you indexed your blocks. Like just like very the bar is very high, uh, which I appreciate. And we don't like 
move fast and break things or move fast and make things that are already broken. Um, so, I think of the core yeah. devs, the core devs is like the ents from LOTR. Yeah. You know, they're, like, <laughs> they're like, they know there might be something going on, but they're slow and ultra methodical and like come to a consensus and then take action. Um, so yeah, I think I think that's, the entire community appreciates you guys for that. That's a great reference. I love that reference because it says like you can't say anything fast in Entish or whatever, right? <laughs> um, uh, but along those lines, though, as someone who you know puts a puts a decent percentage of their monthly salary into Bitcoin, right? I feel good knowing that that the security layer is really the building block, right? As opposed to the transaction speed or some other flashy thing that people try to sell with these other altcoins. Exactly. And, and we've seen it this year that there's been other altcoins, <coughs> Solana, that have failed and bricked multiple times, you know, because either they just have too much, too many waiting transactions, or like you said, someone's someone's transaction is too complicated or something like that. So I guess the, the transition from that is, you know, Bitcoin existed as a sort of, um, as a security first, stability first, predictability, you know, kind of like concrete block. And a lot of these other altcoins are like, hey, we need to be faster. You know, we need to be doing all this other stuff. So is it is it just a core flaw in proof of stake mechanisms in general to say that they can never be as secure as a proof of work chain? Is that or is it like to say that if you applied the security protocol high enough that you could actually get a proof of stake chain? All the way up there. I mean, I'm a Bitcoin maximalist, so I'm just more from a from a developer programming standpoint. Like, I, I would I would rely on your answer on that one. Yeah, it's a good question. I think it's a it's actually a pet peeve of mine when people say like proof of work is more secure than proof of stake. Um, I think that's kind of maybe not that's not the right way to look at security. I think it's it's about the security model. So whenever you talk about security, you say here is the threat model. This is what the specific attack that we're trying to defend against. And Bitcoin's value proposition is its security model and that it's saying we want people to make payments regardless of state level censorship, regardless of, you know, what country they live in. They should always like it should be a permissionless system where it's censorship resistant and it still works. Um, and there, there can be attacks. Like we want the peer-to-peer -peer network to be such that we have no idea who we're connected to, bad guy or good guy, and everyone should be able to make a payment. And all we care about is people are being economically rational and the system operates. Whereas, um, you know, other security models, you know, have more assumptions, you know, where they're like, okay, we assume that because all of the validators registered with, you know, the foundation, we have their real world identities and thus we can rely on that assumption when we're thinking about security because, okay, we always, we always have the ability to just ban them or, you know, shut down or slash or whatever. Um, and so I think it's about like what security model you're thinking of. And I think mm -hmm. what Bitcoin is trying to be is operate in the security model and like nobody else really tries to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and that is its value proposition. So then if we're like, oh crap, like we need to scale to 10,000 pay uh, payments per second, let's just like make sure we get everyone's identity before they join the network. Then we've then like lost our main value. Um, which is being a censorship resistant payment network. And, uh, you know, to be, to be frank, it doesn't yet work to the scale where we could onboard every single person on the, in, uh, in the world onto it. Uh, but it does work. It, it does offer a solution to people who are political activists or um, refugees, or they're being economically sanctioned, or, you know, they're journalists being censored, or, you know, they're uh, sex workers who are being, financially uh, frozen, you know? Yeah, yeah like uh, we care about operating in this system because there are legitimately people who like need money in these mm -hmm. systems, right? And it's, and like other, like you mentioned a few altcoins where they're not operating under that like threat model. 
and maybe they're doing like something, maybe they're solving an interesting technical challenge that is useful in other aspects, but they don't have what I think is Bitcoin's core value proposition, which is its security model. Um, and so, yeah, when I just wanted, to, sorry to, to criticize yeah. you when you said no, no, no. more secure, but that's what I but, want to make very clear. Right. But, but going off that though, like you said, it's like, it's different when someone like me uh, who is not a developer, right? Like I, I have a, a cursory understanding of why things are the way they are. But like you said, if Bitcoin's built to survive the harshest economic climates, you know, that that in itself is its own use case, which is really clear yes. and people can get behind that and explain that. And then looking at these other things that maybe are more fragile or brittle or whatever, because they're like in, in that same security environment, right? Or that high that high tension or high risk yeah. or whatever. Whereas Bitcoin is built to survive, like let's say uh, many more uh, attacks in, from many more directions. And that's sort of the initial part of it. And other people are saying like, oh, well, there's not really that many attacks. We don't really need that many attacks. So we're just going to do it this way, which is like a choice, right? Because it's say, yeah. oh, we want to operate faster then you don't need as many nodes verifying a transaction or something like that. Um, I think the thing that yeah. people, people like me really have an issue with or take issue with with the other altcoins out there is that they they sort of encourage like i would say the strong to stay the strongest and not not necessarily everybody to share uh the the burden of of participation right so when i think of a node in bitcoin um i think of someone like you said a raspberry pi running umbral like very basic, yeah. very inexpensive setup that like you can buy off the internet, assemble it yourself, plug it in. It just kind of goes versus like, oh, I need to stake this much. Otherwise, I don't even get a vote. Right. And, and like then how do you get that big of a how do you get that big of a stack, which is maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars? And then how do you. So it's, it's almost like that's already what we have. Our current system economically of the fiat rails is like. Big banks get to decide everything. They get to lean on the politicians and tell them what to do. They say, hey, vote this way. Hey, write this bill, whatever. Um, so I think that's where, I think that's, in, in that sense, the personal aspect of it, my personal aspect of it is, I would rather have state uh, non-state money with no state influence or whatever and, and say that, hey, everybody has equal influence or anybody can run a note or everybody has equal permissions like Bitcoin. Uh, versus like, oh, hey, we're just going to reorg your whole transaction history because we don't like you, you know, because that's that's weaponizable, you know, and we see that all over the world with lots of people, like you said, debanked, uh, you know, uh, monetized property, property yeah. scene, things like that. And we wouldn't be yeah. getting the truth about what's happening in China or Hong Kong or Yemen or any of these other places if we didn't have people willing to take that risk to tell us what's really going on and without Bitcoin exactly. going to them, it's 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 a, it's a very bleak uh, sort of Orwellian you know situation. So I we could say actually this is a good way to put it: Bitcoin's Bitcoin can survive the most diabolical Orwellian circumstances. You know, so far that's what we've what we've come right. Up with. Well, it, it it's intended to yeah yeah it's intended like to operate. Um, there's bugs. There's bugs that are okay because they're not exploited, um, mm -hmm. and we need to fix them. Just so, wanted to add that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, and like, I, I want to stay on the transactional method uh, or the transactional sort of notion of Bitcoin. Uh, I have on my other computer right now, on my other screen, I have mempool.space up, which is a great visualizer as a tool for people mm -hmm. to see, like, hey, this is these are the transactions as they're going through live. This is how many people want to get in. Um, like, tell me, tell me exactly how, how you view the mempool as a unique characteristic of Bitcoin and why it's like a good teaching tool. Cause I see it, I pull it up when I show it, like try to orange peel people and people are blown away. But as a, as a dev, like what, like how, how does the mempool and the mentality behind the mempool and, you know, people being in a rush for certain transactions, how does that factor in the sort of the bugs or whatever we have? Yeah, I think Thank you for asking that because so I spend most of my time uh, in the code base in, in the mempool area because I find it to be where ideological values that we've just talked about meet technical challenges. Um, so our, our, our idea is anyone should be able to pay anyone and as the mempool space visualizer shows you, 
Um, it should just be a fair fee-based market. Um, it should not rely on you having a special relationship with minors or broadcasting from a special place in the world or, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and, but then like, that's kind of, it's a very like dangerous place to be because apparent, uh, basically um, you're connecting your node to the network and you're, you're saying, I have no idea who my peers are. They could all be trying to attack me. They could all be the same person, hopefully not. And I'm allowing them to send arbitrary data to me. Um, and this data is different from blocks because when we download blocks, the first thing we do is download the 80 byte header and we check the proof of work. And if there's no proof of work, which as we all know is very expensive to create, then we throw it away. If it's a transaction on the other hand, it can be many, many, many bytes. Um, a consensus valid transaction can be several megabytes um, or maybe it, it can be very big, right? Um, and it's very cheap to create and we have to spend CPU to validate it. Um, and so we have to be very secure against uh, denial of service attacks, against CPU exhaustion and um, you know, them trying to cause us to have an out of memory error or cause us to crash or um, cause us to stall for like half a second, which would be very meaningful as a miner to get a head start on the next block if they could get the whole network to stop for just a second, right? Um, or they could get us to try to ignore transactions from a, an honest peer. So that would be a censorship vector um, on in transaction relay, right? Um, and so it's it it's very interesting because it turns out that building something censorship resistant and permissionless is kind of hard actually um and looking at all of the interesting engineering trade-offs um is fascinating um and, and just like even okay i didn't build the mempool there's a lot of it is built by other people who like are really clever and have managed to like discover very scary like just in case an attacker sends us something like this, we need to be prepared for it, you know, kind of things. Um, but even just from like a fee assessment standpoint, it's very interesting because, you know, as you know, transactions have a UTXO based structure. You have an input that refers to a previous transaction and you have outputs and then other transactions from your outputs. Um, so what you can end up with is like this whole graph of, or I guess a whole family of transactions that all rely on each other. And then how do you pick from, you know, several, like a hundred thousand transactions, which can be maybe, yeah, in your mempool, maybe you have a hundred thousand transactions. Um, you know, they all have fees and sizes and like, how do you pick which ones to keep in your mempool? How do you pick which ones to put in your block? Um, if you have two conflicting transactions, how do you pick which one, which one to keep? Um, like even just from like a, a graph theory standpoint or like a, a knapsack problem enthusiast, like as you know most computer science students would be like oh that's interesting you know that would be a, a fun programming assignment like if i were to teach a computer science like algorithms course i would be like hey like how would you build a block or like how would you you know assess the the incentive compatibility of this set of a hundred thousand transactions that have dependencies on each other um and how do you do this in a way where if attackers are sending you these transactions you're not gonna like stall like just spinning in circles like trying to figure out what to keep and what to um what to evict um anyway i just went on this huge ramble there's so many interesting things to look at in mempool and um i think it's it, 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 like to me it's very easy to have very strong conviction and like no we cannot just like increase the cost to run a node because not everyone has access to a 64 gig ram computer um you know like it's very like i care about the things and it's to me it's easy to justify why we we put ourselves through the torture of going through these trade-offs um because we're trying to build something different 
Yeah, because when you talk to people, they're like, oh, Bitcoin's so slow. It's 10 minutes per block. Um, you know, this chain could do this much in, in two seconds, right? But they, no one seems to care about the actual infrastructure of the network until something goes wrong, right? Ethereum goes down, you lose 25% of the nodes on Ethereum or whatever. <laughs> Stuff like that happens all the time. And people just like, eh, hey, whatever, right? Like, I understand blockchain and crypto and Bitcoin and whatever is, is different things, different people. It's, it's Bitcoin or it's, it's uh, banking, it's payments and it's investing. For some people, it's purely just like casino, right? Like they could care less right. if, it's, if it's centralized or if it goes down every other month like Solana, like a lot of people just don't care. They're here for JPEGs and in a good time. Um, then there's the, the other people <laughs> who are trying to focus on like actual security problems like we've been uh, discussing. So it's it's like, it's hard to, to steer people towards the stuff that matters because they're so busy with these like flashy things, these, these beeping lights and, you know, mm. the veneer of, of this network that isn't Bitcoin that's somehow better, right? Uh, yeah, like when I think about why devs work on other projects, like almost every person that I went to college with, like most of them work on a blockchain, like altcoin or, okay, not most of them, but like a, a, a fair number of them. And like, I think it's because as an engineer, you want to build, like often you want to build greenfield or you want to build something cool or you build something nice, or you want to work with people who build nice things, or you know, you can learn from. Mm -hmm. And um, I would say that Bitcoin Core kind of is less attractive in that aspect. A, like you can't build everything from scratch and just like merge 10,000 lines of code. Um, and like, you know, because it's cool. Um, but like, I, I don't think that we necessarily have to live with that in Bitcoin. Um, but like as of like the way bitcoin core kind of stands today is because it's so much of the network like a lot of people rely on it to be their like everyday node usage mm -hmm. and also people treat it as a consensus library um where it's like we cannot touch this like you know like if if we screw this up then the network crashes which is which is Fair. Like, uh, I, hopefully I've made it very clear that I think, you know, it's very important to be um, conservative in making invasive changes. But like, right now, there's so much of Bitcoin Core that is not consensus critical, it's not protocol critical, but because people rely on it as their everyday node, um, and we don't have just like a minimal, sorry, I'm going to show the Bitcoin kernel. Um, which is a project that Carl Dong is working on to just strip away into one library, the consensus protocol, like necessary to stay in sync with the network pieces of code away from the, you know, how many buttons do we have in the GUI? And, you know, what are all the options that you can configure your wallet to do? Um, hopefully that's quite clear like which which part is necessary for a library for you know bitcoin core consensus library and which one is like more okay maybe some people want this in their node and some people don't um and so yeah i think kind of having to do both things be everyone's node and be, maintain a consensus library kind of makes probably makes bitcoin core a little bit less um attractive to engineers who want to build cool shit and solve interesting problems and like, you know, do probably the things that they get to do when they go and see the, the sexy um, altcoin implementations. Um, yeah. Well, so, like the, sorry. the thing, no, it's okay. So, so picking up on that a little bit, there's a there's a distinction, like you said, where people want to work on things and they want to be able to stamp their their like work on that to say, hey, I did this. This thing's me. That that's my bit or whatever, right? So mm. in, in a sense that like the security model and the security mindset is really more of a teamwork thing than it is a diva thing, right? Because you can't be like a security diva. You have to be a secure. You have to be sort of selfless to kind of put things out there to work with other people to come up with a security model 
that is that is decentralized that does work. Whereas I think some of these other programs, it, it could be somebody making an iPhone game or something like that. Because like you know, if you're if you're building something, you're building something. It doesn't really matter what direction you're building. It's like you feel good that you're doing something, right? But some people need that that recognition that need they need that spotlight, and you can't get that spotlight in Bitcoin as easily because there's just so many more. You know, there's just so many people that are kind of like doing so many things at the same time. Whereas like you could be the lead developer on a brand new altcoin that doesn't exist yet. And then you can be like the superhero, the face or whatever. And I think some people are, people are not immune to that, you know, as a, I was a professional athlete and it was always like somebody would get a hit and win the game and people would be like, damn it. I wish I got the hit to win the game. And it's like, we just, the team just won the game. Shut up, you know? Yeah. But I think that, that, that those people are attracted a lot more to the altcoin space because it is much more, instant gratification that you could, you know, merge an ERC 20 token of your own and just shoot it and then just put it out there. Right. It's just a lot easier to, to do that. Whereas Bitcoin, you can't, if you start for, if you're like, Hey, I'm going to fork Bitcoin, I'm going to have my own Bitcoin fork. People will be like, yeah, I don't know about that. It's a lot, it's a lot less likely to get positive reception, I think because of the history of Bitcoin and, and Bitcoin forks and stuff like that. Sure. I, I don't, yeah, I, I agree. Like you, you don't get as much, like, uh, it's not as easy to make a big significant change in a project that is so big and, and old and, uh, conservative, but I, I don't think we necessarily have to settle for, um, you know, okay. okay. So if you look at changes to, mm-hmm a Bitcoin client like Bitcoin Core. Um, you can think of it maybe on like two spectrums. One is utility, like how much can you improve uh, the way this node operates with this change? And then the other one is like, how dangerous is it to introduce this? Like how yeah. many, AKA like how, like how bad is it if you fuck this up? Like how many people do you need to get on board in order to make this change? Hopefully those, are on the same spectrum, right? Um, and like, not every change to Bitcoin Core is in the same place, right? It's all uh, in like different areas of the spectrum. A consensus change is like high on both uh, scales, right? It's It can be extremely high utility, not necessarily, but it can be uh, like SegWit, um, like completely changed. It gave us lightning, right? It, it changed Bitcoin in many ways. Um, so it's high on both and then something that's high utility, but has very little impact, very little risk is maybe writing tests and documentation. Um, and like, you can have something that's very, very like invasive, but has very little utility. Um, like some, you know, protocol change proposals, um, that people might put out there and, like, I think right now we're kind of hamstrung and that most things are treated as it's extremely dangerous to introduce to Bitcoin Core because we don't have a clear separation of like what is necessary to be this like pristine consensus library that everybody uses and what is just like just going to be great for the user. Like if we had a wallet change, for example, that would save users 10% on fees every single time. Uh, over the course of them using this wallet, they always save 10% on fees. Like theoretically, that should have no impact whatsoever on whether or not their node is running properly, right? It's a wallet, like you're creating transactions, you're giving it to the node, right? Um, but, you know, in several years ago, the wallet, the GUI, the consensus code, all of it was like in one file even. Um, and, and in that case, you have no choice because you have no idea whether your wallet changes, you, you change something here and something breaks over there. Um, but like, we don't have to settle for that, right? And maybe this is me just like talking too much about like the nitty gritty, like development kind of thing. Um, but I, I do kind of want to put this out there for people who are listening or watching um, that you know, like software has costs, like software maintenance is a full-time job for many people. And the Bitcoin core code base is very big and has dependencies. And like, we fix bugs every day. There's like 
130 issues open that are labeled bug. Um, there are dozens of PRs open labeled bug fix. Um, and like we talked today so much about how much Bitcoin stresses security. Um, and I think part of that is like, we need to figure out how to separate what's extremely security critical from like what's, you know, not. Um, and yeah. So, so help me if I'm, can I put this in layman's terms? Basically what you're saying is the transaction model is like the kernel, right? That doesn't get changed, but then the, the, the sort of, let's say, functionality of more elegant or more complicated types of transactions is sort of up for some people don't need that. Some people want that. Some people want to be able to have these like crazy multi-sig decay uh, transactions with Taproot or Taro or whatever, where they can say, oh, I, after three years, it's going to be five of seven. Then after five years, it's going to be two of three or something like that stuff's not necessarily necessary for someone that wants to send 52,000 sats today right now. And so that's where you sort of have these, these two different things. And if you try to merge the super complicated into the simple, then you end up getting like a little bit of a fruit salad with priorities, right? Right. I, um, not to point fingers at any specific proposal, I just hope that people understand that there's multiple dimensions. There's the utility and there's the risk you introduce to the network when you try to attempt a consensus change, for example, versus something that's non-consensus uh, or it does not require protocol change. Um, and try to think about both. Um, and also note that right now, um, because of the way that Bitcoin Core is treated, um, most things are much higher on the scale of danger than they need to be. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah, I, I, it's fascinating for me because I feel like as someone who's not directly involved in it, but hears a lot about it, um, I think of that thing, which is like it's the it's the risk benefit analysis, right, which is how high does the utility have to be before you're willing to take the risk from zero to one, you know, and, mm -hmm. you know, you're, it's like, does it need to be three utility steps higher to be one more riskier, you know, or and because. And as we get more users on Bitcoin and we go from millions to millions to millions to millions, whatever, to hundreds of millions and more hundreds of millions, it's like, how are we going to distribute the nodes? How are we going to distribute the transactions? How are we going to distribute the block size? And, and the, like you said, the prioritization. Um, and then can Lightning fix those things or can Lightning continue to scale like it is now? We have over 4,000 Bitcoin locked in Lightning. Uh, for liquidity, like at what point, how many, how many Bitcoin will there have to be on level two before you could build something on top of level two to like make a level three or something like that, you know, and that's that, that to me is like this really fascinating cloud that we can't really see through yet because it, it's mm -hmm. so many people are determined to like, you know, steer it. And it's like, it's going to take a, a really big group of smart people fighting about it to sort of have the one thing come forward, right? Yeah, 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 um, yeah. The answer, I think, is you build layers, just like the traditional financial system is built in layers. Nobody's shipping gold bars back, back and forth. Like mm -hmm. you're getting a credit card and you're settling with Visa at the end of the month. Um, merchants are setting up payment terminals and settling at the end of the month. Like not like <laughs> Visa doing ten thousand transactions per second is is not like comparable. Um, and all software is built in layers. Like we rely, I mean, uh, Bitcoin is built on top of TCP IP. <laughs> like, you know. Um, well, every we app, every app. Yeah, people just see the the interface. They just see the the, the yeah. GUI or the UX or whatever of like Uber. But Uber is like mm -hmm. a GPS satellite for you, a GPS satellite for your driver, your bank account, your credit card, their bank account, their credit card, Uber. TCP IP like there's so it's like really like a six layer seven layer bean dip you know with all these different yeah, things that have to have to exactly. interact and and that's why I tell everybody how early we are with Bitcoin that we're really only just scratching the surface of layer two in a lot of ways um, you know with with lightning and liquid and stuff like that to be out there to do these other things and yeah uh, I think I think it's going to attract more people to it once they realize that because Bitcoin has 
a very antagonistic security model at its core. You can lump, it's like a, having a really good bone structure. You can lump all these other limbs and muscles and tails and all this other stuff onto it, you know, and, yeah. and be, and come up with crazy ideas for how to do lightning transactions. Um, you know, like there's a lot of different interesting things out there, but people, I don't know, I think like there's a, there's just a, a not a mass, a mass understanding change, but it, there's a, there's a, like a step change that you need to make as a person, you know, as a non-coding person to like take the time to just like surround yourself with these things a little bit and listen to it. And then, then you're like, wow, we really need these core devs because they're actually protecting my financial future like 50 years from now with the decisions they make today. Like, that's kind of cool. You know, I think that's, that's like the message I think that, that we should share with people is that people like yourself, you're working for our kids to have a good financial structure to build on. No pressure, by the way. No pressure. No pressure. But but like all like but like all the respect, you know, all the respect to you for doing that because like it's a very indirect way of of uh, securing things for most people. Most people still aren't even using Bitcoin yet, so we're we're doing something. We're laying the groundwork and putting the train tracks in, so you guys can. Like, so things can sail through smoothly whenever these two, these people figure out how to be Bitcoiners. Yeah. And sorry, we're not going to build it quickly because we're not trying to build brittle software systems that, you know, you and I are so used to. Um, it's going to be built brick by brick where everything is stable underneath. Um, so we need more people and more time. Definitely. And Gloria, thank you for coming on. I think we could talk to you for another three hours, but I think we have to leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> thank and, you and for I'll, having me. It was really a pleasure. And I'll let uh, CJ sign us off here. All right. So uh, I don't think we gave any financial advice on this one, but I'm going to go ahead and say it wasn't financial advice. What would be great though, uh, Gloria, if you could give our, our listeners, uh, give us some, some resources, some websites to check out, some places to read, uh, if someone's interested in learning how to code, uh, so maybe some steps, you know, things like that, if you have any resources to, to shill. Yeah, I would recommend bitcoinops.org, which is Bitcoin Optech. Um, subscribe to that newsletter and you'll always be in, up to date on what's happening in the development community. Um, I would also recommend if you are a dev, clone the Bitcoin core repo at github.com slash Bitcoin slash Bitcoin. Um, if you are not that technical, but willing to run your own node, go to bitcoincore.org. Um, and if you are already looking at Bitcoin core and unsure how to contribute, please come to bitcoincore.reviews. Come to our weekly PR review club, where we talk about how to look at code changes and the code base with a security mindset. And we give you tours through how certain functionalities work inside the code. So come and trust, uh, don't trust, verify. That's perfect, I love it. Um, well, Gloria, thank you for being our guest on the Bitcoin Bottom Line. Uh, I'm CJ Wilson and we are signing out. <laughs>